Who do you trust to get at the truth? Tavis Smiley. That's who. The conversation continues right now. In our third hour today, a conversation with Isaac Hayes III. Isaac Hayes III and Faison Love. It's the 20th anniversary, believe it or not, of the classic holiday film Elf. Uh, comedian Faison Love joins us in the next hour along with Isaac Hayes III. Isaac Hayes III at the top, Faison at the bottom. And speaking of the bottom, at the bottom of this hour, I'm pleased to be joined now by our resident physician, Dr. Robert Drummond, uh, for a conversation about this groundbreaking treatment, this uh, new news uh, on sickle cell. We'll talk about COVID. We'll talk about the controversial weight loss drug, Ozempic, as well. But first, Dr. Drummond, how are you today, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. Good to hear your voice. Good to have you back. I want to make the most of the time we have covering all three of those and perhaps a bit more. But let me start with uh, this groundbreaking uh, treatment for sickle cell disease. I know you were involved in uh, in this. So uh, tell me all about it. Well, first, let me just make sure I do a very brief education for the audience. Sure, sure. So sickle cell disease is a disease that in America affects about 100,000 uh, Americans. The vast majority of them, over 90%, are black Americans. Um, and those individuals have two mutated copies of a normal gene that lead to the blood cells not being able to travel through blood vessels normally. They, under situations of like dehydration, low oxygen, they tend to kind of create these crescent cells or sickles. They get stuck in the blood vessels, which can lead to these very painful vaso-occlusive crises, strokes, etc., um, about one in 13 black Americans have one copy of the bad gene, meaning each time uh, they give birth, they can co- they can pass on the bad gene to one of their children. And it's a 50% chance of ch- passing on that bad gene. So very, very, very persistent disease that affects a lot of Americans. Now, that the treatment for this has actually not been very good. It was the first disease discovered at the molecular level. We actually call this the first molecular disease. Um, but the treatments have really stalled over the years. Um, typically, the treatments typically are, you know, pain medications like narcotics, IV fluids. Um, there are some other medications that have been given, but like very strong medicines like hydroxyurea, which is a chemotherapy medicine, and they all have their own side effects. Um, traditionally, there was a type of cure, which was a bone marrow transplant, but you needed to have a well-matched sibling uh, and then you had to go on, you know, immunosuppressive medicines for the rest of your life. And even that didn't have great results. And so that's the history behind this very debilitating disease and, and kind of where we've gotten to um, right now. And so now what's recently happened is we've had a form of gene therapy that scientists have been, I tell you all the time, scientists work in the background when no one's paying attention mm-hmm. on these medications, on these treatments. And we've been working on this form of gene therapy for a very long time, going all the way back to 1990. Um, And that is, it's a technology that we derived from bacteria, believe it or not. They have a form of protection against viruses. Um, It's called the CRISPR-Cas9 system. And it's basically a a way for them to detect double strands of DNA, which they aren't supposed to see, and they chop it up and get rid of it. And so we were able to take that and use that in molecular biology and do a form of what we call gene targeting and gene editing, where we can take a bad gene and we can disrupt that bad gene or we can edit it and get the cell to kind of do what we want it to do. And that is the kind of the background of the basis of these uh, new medications. So you, you you do that when, like, like when, when uh, does that gene editing, as you put it, when does that actually happen? Like, 
So great question. So for this particular technology, Mm -hmm. it's for individuals that are 12 years and over who have had at least two of these basal occlusive prices that I mentioned earlier, two of these painful basal occlusive prices over the last two years. So basically four crises over the last two years, those are the individuals that are eligible for this. And you would would essentially, this is a long process. That's one thing I do want the audience to understand. It's a long process and it's not an overnight treatment. Mm -hmm. Essentially, we have to take the patient and you basically pull their, um, their, what we call the stem cells out of their body, right? So you do a bone marrow retrieval, you pull the stem cells out and then we basically deprive them of all of their stem cells, right? This is what happens in, in normal forms of, um, of stem cells or, or of uh, gene therapy. Mm-hmm. You basically get rid of their immune system. We're wiping it out. So they're very vulnerable during this time. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, this occurs over weeks to months. They're very vulnerable. During that time, we're taking their cells and then we're applying this medication outside of the body to the cells. So you pull their stem cells out. You go into a lab, and then you edit those stem cells. Meanwhile, their body has no stem cells because we're, we're, we're giving them radiation or chemotherapy. We're dropping them down so that they have no existing uh, immunity for a little while, and we keep them in the hospital and monitor them. And then outside of the body, we edit those cells, and then we give those cells after they've been edited back to the patient via an infusion. Mm-hmm. And then those new cells have to go into the patient's bone marrow and start to make new red blood cells and white blood cells, et cetera. Right. And, and so that's why you can understand this takes weeks to months to do. What Two questions come to mind immediately. One, would you call this then, because I want to be accurate in my description of it, would you call this then a sickle cell treatment or a sickle cell cure? Very, very good question. From the perspective of what are we looking at trying to cure, we are trying to stop the physical manifestation of the disease, okay? Mm-hmm. By doing that, we're talking about the mutation that's happening and are we trying to correct that mutation or are we trying to do something else? So that's a very, very good question because the two medications or the two, I guess you would say, therapies are different in that regard. Mm-hmm. One of them is called Cascadi, okay? That one is not designed to necessarily correct the mutation, what that one does is it actually interferes with a completely different gene. It's a, still a gene that's involved in the blood cells and involved in the production of hemoglobin. But there's a type of hemoglobin that we have as babies. That hemoglobin that we have as babies doesn't have this mutation. Mm-hmm. So those patients with sickle cell, they normally they live normally for the first few months of their life. And then at some point, the adult sickle, I'm sorry, the adult hemoglobin starts to be produced. And we call it the fetal hemoglobin stops being produced. So what this one form of treatment does is it actually leads to the increased production of that fetal hemoglobin, the baby hemoglobin. Now, you say, well, why is that? How is that going to treat things? Like, how is that different? How is that a cure? Well, the fetal hemoglobin has the ability to prevent the cells, or should I say, to prevent the hemoglobin molecules from stacking up and prevent those sickling crises. Oh, okay. So if we can increase the amount of the baby hemoglobin, that will, and it functions normally, it can still deliver oxygen normally. If we can increase that amount, then we essentially will stop the process of those cells sickling, and we stop them from having these basal-occlusive prices. Mm-hmm. That's what one form of therapy does. The other form of therapy, Lesgenia, that one is actually a lentil viral therapy, which is basically a harmless virus that we use 
to deliver an entirely new type of hemoglobin, and that is a modified hemoglobin. So that's delivering a hemoglobin gene that's going to now create new normal forms of the mutated hemoglobin. So two different ways of trying to attack the same thing. So in essence, if we stop the vaso-occlusive crisis, which is the physical manifestation of the disease, then you're actually curing the disease, you're not treating it. So that's good news for those who suffer with sickle cell disease. When we come forward, uh, my question is is simply this. Um, It's a beautiful thing if you survive all this and get to the treatment or get the treatment and then uh, get to uh, a cure. Uh, that's a beautiful thing. We've been, uh, you know, we, as you said, working on you, you guys have been working on this for for decades now. So this is nothing but good news, except that, as you mentioned earlier, um, you're vulnerable for a while. When you when you completely recon- deconstruct and then reconstruct, my words, not yours, but deconstruct and reconstruct their immunity system for that period when they have no 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 cells to fight off whatever may come into their body, you're pretty vulnerable. Uh, and so I want to ask um, about that vulnerability and whether or not the risk is worth the reward. We'll talk about that. Uh, we haven't gotten to COVID yet. We've not gotten to the controversy around this uh, weight loss drug, Ozempic. More to talk uh, about with our current uh, and resident uh, physician, Dr. Robert Drummond, who you're listening to right now on Tavis Smiley. From the Merck Park with love, love, this love. is Tavis Smiley. Oh. Smart talk for curious people just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. It's a beautiful thing, Dr. Robert Drummond, um, to uh, live in a, in, a, in a moment, in a time where there may be, there in, in fact is a treatment and potentially a cure for sickle cell. But as you laid out uh, earnestly and transparently, uh, there is a vulnerability uh, that uh, uh, one has to navigate with regard to their immunity system to get to uh to uh to the mountaintop as it were uh to get to the promised land as it were so is the risk worth the reward well uh great question uh what i would say is you have to ask the patients Mm. and what i mean by that is these pain crises are incredibly painful and what i what i would the way i would describe it it's a lightning storm of thunder and lightning of pain and they don't last for minutes they don't last for hours. They can last for days and weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. So imagine the worst pain that you've ever been in in your life. One of my sickle cell patients when I was in residency said they had a, they came in with a compound fracture with the leg sticking out of their, basically their leg broken, mm-hmm. sticking out of their, of their body. Mm-hmm. And we said, what is that pain like compared to your sickle pain? They said, this is about a two compared to my pain for my crisis. Wow. So you have to put that into perspective to ask the question, is it worth it? So what I would say is that, yes, for a lot of the patients, absolutely. Patients are volunteering for this study because they don't want to spend the rest of their lives in these types of vaso-occlusive crisis that is not just about pain, but they can actually be about multiple organ failure and then death. So if you ask the first question of whether someone wants to go through potential a couple of weeks, two, three weeks of, you know, being in the hospital and being monitored, to make sure they don't get an infection versus potentially dying and living a, a, a painful existence. The answer universally is I yeah. would rather take that chance with that treatment than live in pain. It's great news, great news for those suffering from sickle cell, uh, this gene therapy treatment. Um, so so honored and humbled that our resident physician, Dr. Robert Drummond, has been involved in this, and uh, we are pleased to share that news with you. Let me move quickly now, watching my time. Well, let me do this. When we come forward, I'll knock out both of these in our remaining moments with uh, Dr. Drummond. We'll talk about uh, COVID. Uh, Dr. Fauci is retired. He's gone, but COVID is still around, and uh, apparently it's uh, – 
back, uh, I won't say with a vengeance, I'll let him put his own word on it, uh, his own uh, language on it, uh, but it's 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 out there again, and many people are contracting it once again. We'll talk about COVID as we move into the holiday season, how concerned you should be about that, and uh, some news on Ozempic. We'll do that when we come forward. Dr. Robert Drummond on Tavis Smiley. Unapologetically progressive, progressive. unapologetically black. Black, black, black. You're tapped into Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now. More of Dr. Robert Drummond right now. Four minutes left to go. Let me uh, cover both of these issues right quick. Uh, Dr. Drummond, your 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 advice, your thoughts uh, about COVID uh, and its continual spread as we move through the busy travel season, the busy holiday season. You know, it's as we talked about over the, multiple times over the last few years, um, SARS-CoV-2 virus is not going anywhere. We're going to be living with it. Right now, there are no variants that are of major concern to us in regards to, you know, increased or worsening um, uh, morbidity. Um, and so it's one of those things where we'll continue to live with it. We'll continue to be infected by it. Some individuals will choose to get vaccinated. But I remind everyone that each infection is essentially like a new vaccine. So you don't have to be so ready to run out and grab another vaccine if your body's continuing to mount uh, natural immunity towards it. Yep. Uh, and finally here, um, Ozempic. Um, everybody knows this name now. Uh, it was the first, uh, and if not the first, certainly the one that everybody knows, uh, gets the most uh, attention uh, in, in, in conversation. So Ozempic is one of these uh, weight loss drugs. There are others now. Um, but um, there are questions now about some of the side effects. I was reading an article yesterday in preparation for our conversation today uh, that some doctors uh, refuse at the moment to prescribe it for overweight ch- children, adolescents, because they're concerned about what the potential side effects may be, and it's just too early for some pediatricians uh, to describe it, uh, prescribe it to overweight babies, and God knows there are too many overweight children in this country these days. So I understand the, the, the need for it and the, the desire for it, and yet many p- pediatricians, again, are concerned about the side effects given how early on we are in this process. And then there are now stories, mm-hmm. it's been out long enough, there are enough stories uh, that we have read about folk who gain most or all the weight back when they stop taking Ozempic. Um, your thoughts about uh, Ozempic and this this new crop of weight loss drugs, as it were. All right, let me be quick about this. So first, we're talking about these uh, GLP-1, glucagon-like peptide agonists, okay? And so these are medications that you give that the way that they act, essentially they reduce your appetite, they make you feel full faster, um, and they modulate how your body is handling glucose. And so they were typically designed for diabetes to reduce the, you know, the hemoglobin A1C, but they found in a lot of these patients the side effect was weight loss. And so for semaglutide, that is basically the medications Ozempic and Wigovi, same exact medications, just different concentrations. And then the other one is uh, terzepatide, which is Monjaro. And they all act a little bit similar. Um, as you mentioned very, very eloquently, they do have side effects. Mm-hmm. I think from my perspective, what I'd say is everything needs to be about a the doctor-patient relationship. Um, it needs to be about explaining risks and benefits. That is the total pro- uh, purpose of informed consent. Mm-hmm. And as long as a patient understands what these risks and benefits are, then you make that decision together. Right. So there are some risks of you know, delayed gastric emptying, meaning individuals stay full and food stays in the stomach. And even uh, occasional cases of pancreatitis, which mm-hmm. is you know inflammation and infection of the pancreas, which we can require hospitalization. So any patient that is listening that is on these medications, I just encourage you to listen to your body. Yeah. If something doesn't feel right, go back, 
talk to your doctor, drink plenty of water, and don't be afraid to ask questions about this. If something doesn't feel right, talk to your doctor because it may be a sign of something larger going on. And the 30 seconds I have left right quick here, what, what's it all matter if when you stop taking it, you gain the weight back, Doc? I agree 100%. And it's like a lot of those, uh, a lot of the diets that are out there. The goal for patients taking this medication is to develop healthy eating habits right. and exercise so that when they step down off of the medication, they no longer need it. But you're absolutely right. Patients, they stop taking this, they gain all the weight back and possibly more. Our resident physician, Dr. Robert Drummond, always grateful to him for his uh, his insights uh, shared regularly on this program. Dr. Drummond, happy holidays to you, sir. Be safe, and I'll talk to you soon, my brother. All right. Thank you. Thank you for your time.